Hi there, welcome to the PSRB Lawcast. I'm your host, Adam Wright. Each episode features dynamic conversations with attorneys from the law firm of Pellegrini, Seeley, Ryan, and Blakesley in Massachusetts. The goal is to try to bring you some information about the various aspects of personal injury law and the legal process. And we understand that approaching a law firm to help you can often be kind of intimidating, which is why our podcast is designed to make personal injury law easier to understand and to help you navigate the processes with greater comfort. Now, remember, every case is different. And in order for us to provide you with accurate information and advice relevant to your specific circumstance, it's really important to set up an appointment with one of our attorneys to meet in person. Today, we're discussing serious injuries which occur at work, which are covered under something called Section 36. And in addition to all other compensation uh, employees, are paid under the Workers' Compensation Act. There's also additional payments for specific injuries as well. And to break down Section 36 for us and to discuss payments for these extreme injuries is PSRB attorney and partner Tom Downey. Tom serves clients in the areas of disability law, workers' compensation, labor law, and Social Security Administration law. He was formerly a claims manager for a municipality with over 7,000 employees, which has given him pretty extensive experience with public employee disability law. Tom holds an MBA with a concentration in healthcare administration from Western New England College and his JD from Western New England College School of Law. Tom's admitted to practice law in the state courts of Massachusetts and before the security and before the Social Security Administration and the Massachusetts Department of Industrial Accidents. All easy for me to say. Hey Tom, how are you? Good morning, Adam. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you here because these are uh, real serious issues that obviously and unfortunately come up, I would think, quite often uh, when we talk about uh, workers' compensation law. What what are Section 36 benefits? Well, they're uh, a single benefit under the workers' comp law, which is state-specific. And and so under Section 36 of the law, there is a benefit for scarring as as well as uh, permanent loss of function and something uh, also called uh, disfigurement. And um, I think the nature of workers' comp is something that most people don't pay attention to on a day-to-day basis because we're so uh, busy at work and trying to do the work of two or three people and uh, oftentimes, you know, workers' comp doesn't come up in conversation. However, when someone gets injured, then there's really an immediate need uh, for a lot of information. And um, so, um, and that's why we like to share as much information as, as we possibly can, just to make people um, aware of, of what their rights are and how the, the law works. And this is one of the more serious elements of workers' compensation law, because this applies to people who have significant injuries and permanent injuries, correct? That's true. That's true. And, and if you are uh, uh, applying for benefits uh, for scarring or, or a permanent loss of function or disfigurement, these are sort of uh, permanent injuries that you sustain. So they, by their very nature, are serious. And there's actually a, uh, a six-month waiting period uh, before you can even claim these benefits to allow for proper healing 
uh, and, and to uh, restore loss of function and uh, to be declared at a medical end result. So they really are serious. It's really, they're only evaluated when someone's completed all of their medical treatment. So, so they certainly are serious. Now, what kind of injuries are we talking about specifically? Well, you know, it's important to note that the law was changed in 1991. So when it comes to scarring, now it's been limited. Previously, uh, there was a benefit for scarring anywhere on the body. And then with the change in December of 1991, uh, the scarring was limited to the face, neck, or hands. So it really... Places that are visible. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Under the theory that employee that has a visible scar might have greater difficulty finding new employment um, and, and, and thereby may have incurred further impaired uh, earning capacity as a result of, of the work injury. And um, so that change that was, it was significant um, to people. And I, what we find as, you know, workers comp attorneys is that uh, someone who has a scar is much more cognizant of the fact that they have a scar than someone they may be talking to or working with, you know, so it, it does leave a, you know, a permanent uh, mark on someone and that they are keenly aware of. Yeah. And I know that uh, it's scarring as well as disfigurement. What, what are the, what's the difference between the two? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and disfigurement really is um, really been interpreted. If someone ends up with a limp, then um, a permanent limp. And again, it, it has to, the normal recovery period has to take place and, and recovery therapies such as uh, physical therapy, they have to take place and again, be declared at a medical end result. But some, an example of disfigurement might be someone who has a limp uh, at the end of all their treatment or uh, has to use a cane on a permanent basis that is prescribed by their uh, medical treatment provider. In most cases, we're really talking about orthopedic surgeons, you know, that there's been an injury to a major uh, body part, you know, but there can be other cases where we're dealing with, you know, lacerations as well. And the third would be obviously loss of function. So I'm thinking like if somebody loses an eye or maybe they have a, um, a permanent injury to their limb that no longer works, I mean, would that be considered part of, of loss of function? It would. That that's exactly uh, correct. And um, what we often see, I would say, as a general rule, you know, bearing in mind that there are exceptions to every rule. But if someone has had surgery, there's a there's more than a you know there's probably an eighty to ninety percent chance that they are going to have a measurable loss of function. And these loss of functions can only be done by doctors, and they have to be done in accordance with the AMA guidelines. So they're fairly, you know, strict in, in how they're, uh, the requirements to, to, um, qualify, uh, for this benefit. And, um, however, uh, again, one has to complete all of their medical treatment, but again, if they have a permanent loss of function, it is, you know, going to be with them, uh, you know, forever. So it certainly isn't a, a benefit that they really should be uh, addressing to compensate them for that loss. And this would be in addition to any other workers' compensation benefits that are being paid. That's correct. You know, what we're talking about today is scarring, loss of function, and disfigurement. This would be in addition to weekly benefits, and it should not be uh, misconstrued as a settlement of any kind. It's not a settlement. It's just a payment for a scar 
or a permanent loss of function rating or some type of uh, disfigurement. You talked about how the determination of these injuries is decided by a doctor. Um, is that, does the doctor look at, at the injury, the function or, li- or lack thereof? Um, what types of things is the doctor looking for? And the other question I would have, Tom, is, is uh, psychological impact of these injuries. Is that factored in as well? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good question. And, and I think if I can, uh, before I address that, I think I sh- we should just point out, you know, to our listeners that the most important thing that someone uh, should do when they've been injured at work is to file an accident report. And it, of course, you know, you and I were, we're having a conversation and, you know, if someone works as a carpenter or a plumber or their machine operator, they may say, if I have to file an action report every time I bump my knee or, or, or have a small cut on my hand or something, I'll be doing one of those per day. But I, I think the takeaway is that, you know, if you've got something that it, it, um, lasts for, throughout the rest of the workday, you should report it. And um, and give a copy of that accident report to a supervisor. Make sure they're aware of it and keep a copy for yourself. This is what we call notice to the employer. And, and that really just records what's happened. So so at, at a later date that um, the employee is not on the defensive about not having There's a record of it. Exactly. And let the employer know and get the proper immediate uh, medical treatment that's required. And, and, and really that starts there, but to, to, to um, answer the question you just mentioned about the doctors, their role and what are they looking for? Well, um, there are regulations in addition to the law, there are regulations like a companion set of rules that we use under the workers comp law and those regulations for loss of function, for example, require the doctor to uh, declare that someone is at a maximum medical improvement, what we call uh, an MMI, and the doctor then would uh, provide the degree of loss of function. So, for example, let's say someone has uh, shoulder surgery for a rotator cuff tear, and then uh, what we ordinarily see is the surgery and then a period of recuperation, which includes physical therapy, and once they're declared at the end of their medical treatment and recovery, no sooner than six months from the date of surgery, then we often write to that surgeon and ask that doctor to provide the degree of permanent loss of function in that particular shoulder in accordance with the latest uh, guidelines from the American Medical Association, the AMA, which I think it's the sixth edition right now. So um, we also have to identify the the permanent uh, monetary loss that we're uh, seeking. There is a schedule of loss of functions percentages, which are based upon the state average weekly wage. And uh, so we uh, put that in the claim. But um, so and, and if we're talking about scarring or nearly what we see as a doctor, we'll put in the report the length, the width and the degree of discoloration of the scar in a report. And we oftentimes include a photograph of that scar when we file the claim. As far as the psychological impact, you know, uh, the workers' comp law, you know, I often uh, tell people that it, it, it can be interpreted sort of as a somewhat callous law, that it, it doesn't have provisions for pain 
or uh, suffering benefits or loss of consortium. So it should not be misconstrued as being uh, similar to the personal injury law in Massachusetts. It's not. And the psychological component is hard for an orthopedic doctor uh, to measure, you know, certainly. And what we see them do is refer people out to another specialist, such as a psychiatrist or a um, psychologist, if, if the work injury has really caused a psychological injury too, and that can happen. And, uh, and what we encourage people to do again is to give notice to their doctor and ask for referral to the appropriate specialist. The psychological injury is, is really not, um, uh, there is a benefit, uh, That'd be under like maybe social security. It could, it could lead to someone applying for social security. If, if in the opinions of the medical providers that they're unable to continue to work yet perform what social security calls substantial gainful activity. But, um, but first it's, it's so important to get that treatment right away. But, but there's section 36, the, the payments under that we don't ordinarily see someone being, um, uh, paid for a psychological injury. What about cognitive function, loss of cognitive function? Would that follow along with, with psychological or is that a, a separate entity in itself? You know, that's a good question. And uh, there, there is a, a payment for like language comprehension, which, you know, most people would say is a cognitive impairment that is permanent. And I will say that, um, those injuries as compared to the orthopedic type injuries that we see to the shoulder or to the spine or to the, the, uh, the knees or the ankles, but a, a cognitive injury uh, that it can be um, uh, paid, you know, a claim for benefits can be filed. But what we see is we, a doctor has to be able to provide that loss, the cognitive loss in the form of a percentage and which is difficult to do, sure. not impossible, yeah. but it can be difficult. And usually we see the person either dealing with a, a clinical psychologist or a neuroclinical psychologist or a neurologist when we talk about cognitive impairment that is in fact permanent. You had mentioned the law is callous. One of the things that, that always surprised me is that they actually list particular benefit payments for different injuries, right? So if you lose a finger, it's one amount. If you lose a hand, it's another amount. If you lose your, you know, the function of your leg, it's another amount. These are, they're all pretty spelled out by the state, right? They really are. That's true. And, um, and, and it, it, I think it can be frustrating. It's a one-time payment and it can be frustrating to the injured employee because, uh, it, it would just seem to be inadequate. You know, this is going to be a permanent a loss for this person moving forward. But, you know, the law is, I guess, what it is. And it, and it really, um, you know, one of the tough things as an attorney you have to do is tell uh, a client what benefits the law provides and what it does not provide. And, and, uh, and we make it a point of telling people sort of, the good points of the law and in the parts of the law that it just doesn't address these things that are so important. But if it doesn't address it, then we let them know that. So they're aware we don't want anyone to be surprised. Uh, right. Who makes the determination whether or not these payments will be uh, available and justified for a particular client? 
Well, when we represent clients, if it gets to the point where we think a benefit under Section 36 for scarring or loss of function or disfigurement is owed, we would file a claim and then we would appear within about two or three weeks, a conciliation will be scheduled. Most of these claims get resolved at conciliation, even though a conciliator doesn't have the authority to issue a binding order, they give a a written recommendation. So for example, if there's a scar on someone's hand, they will literally measure the scar and they will observe its width as well, measure the width, the length, and the degree of discoloration. And then they will provide to both the employee and the employee's attorney and a representative from the insurer, usually an attorney, This is what my assessment is of the Section 36, the scarring. If it's a loss of function, they don't comment on that because they're not qualified to. What we often see is the insurer will have, if they don't agree to pay the loss of function rating right uh, when the claim is filed, they, they have the right to schedule the employee for an independent medical exam, an IME with a, a doctor of their choosing, and the person must attend in order uh, for us to move forward with the claim if we want to appear in front of a judge. I would say more than 90% of cases are resolved at the conciliation level because the the law, as you say, is spelled out in, in plain terms. And even for such things as, um, you know, I, I can refer just to the losses of function. It's for the spine, um, including the cervical, lumbar, and thoracic, but losses for equilibrium, for loss of lung, there's a payment, kidney, language comprehension, sexual function, taste, loss of taste or smell, loss of one's spleen, uh, urinary or bowel uh, loss, and loss of, of teeth actually are all uh, clearly spelled out in the law. And so those are things that, you know, a person would be eligible for a, a payment for. I should point out... Yeah. That when we talk about scars, there is a maximum established in the law. So, if so, scarring and disfigurement, the maximum benefit it's capped at fifteen thousand dollars per injury. So, um, so someone will not be able to get paid more than fifteen thousand dollars. That's just for scarring. That's right, scarring and disfigurement as a result of of one date of injury. Right. That doesn't apply necessarily to loss of function. It does not apply to loss of function. And again, that, that would be rated by the, the doctor. Often it's the treating surgeon is who we write to. We think that's the most knowledgeable person, of course. So we write to them and, um, and most are willing to give a report. And, um, and that, again, is, is a benefit that is so important. You know, I, I think the benefits we're talking today, because the workers' comp law doesn't have any benefits for the pain and suffering that we talked about before, it kind of, it elevates the importance of these benefits to make sure that the person gets paid and has some sense that they've uh, been compensated for these injuries. And then they can kind of move on with their life with the, with sort of an assurance or peace of mind that, that they were treated pre, uh, properly under the workers' comp law. You mentioned that, that none of this can be filed until six months after the final treatment, how long is the process to determine whether or not those benefits are paid generally? I suppose it depends on the insurance company and whether they... Yeah, and and I should point out that it's six months from the the date of surgery. So if we're talking about surgery, it'll be six months from the date of surgery, but also being declared at a medical end result. So if someone continues to treat 
we again wait to that. So it's six months plus the medical end date. I guess how, how often do insurance companies challenge a claim? Uh, it, it, you know, unless like, the rating is pretty significant, we don't um, uh, have too many cases that cannot be resolved at the conciliation. I think that we have to remind our clients that what we receive from the treating surgeon is, is that person's rating. And um, that, you know, can be subjective and uh, and then the insurer's uh, evaluation, which we refer to as an IME, that um, is subjective as well. Uh, they try to use objective criteria, but it's one person's opinion. And um, but oftentimes, you know, there's sort of a common ground that we can find between the two. They're usually not that far apart, especially if it involves surgery of, you know, for example, uh, if it's knee surgery, then generally if you've had one arthroscopic repair, depending upon if it's the cartilage or ligament or both, you know, they usually are not that far apart, the two ratings. And once this gets adjudicated, whether in conciliation or, or before a judge, how long before someone receives their payment? Uh, once an agreement is entered into, then uh, the insurer has 14 days to get to send the check out to the uh, injured employee. So, you know, generally we hope that they actually receive the check within 14 days, two weeks, but, but technically the law says the check must be mailed within 14 days from the date of approval of any uh, agreement that's paying them uh, benefits of any kind. One of the most important things that we see is that just to, to file that accident report and just to give the employer notice, but also seek the medical treatment that you need. It, it, it usually ends up providing the best outcomes for someone, but it's also, um, it also will put someone on a path that, that might be the least resistance from the employer when they're aware that something uh, has happened. But, you know, if, if they have any questions, they could give us a call at our office. We're always happy to talk to people. And there are many occasions where we don't necessarily have to meet with someone. We can speak to them over the phone. We're always happy to share our advice and our experience. And, um, and, and should we need to meet with them, we're always happy to do that. And we're available, you know, throughout the state. And we also understand that, that there's sometimes that there's an urgency to their situation that they often wait um, to call a lawyer and um, they can be reluctant to do that, but we're happy to call them and we don't charge them. I think one note I should include is that the fees for litigation are paid by the insurance company. They're not paid by the employee to us, so they don't have to worry. It's not going to cost them anything out of pocket to pay for an attorney. That's right. And if they call us and ask us questions, we don't start a meter or look at our watch. We don't do that. That's not how workers comp works. And, and, and that, you know, is a benefit we hope um, that the employee uh, sees. And, and so they won't hesitate to give us a call when they have questions. Before we wrap up, one of the things you mentioned is, is someone who, who works maybe in the trades and gets a nick or a cut on a regular basis and doesn't think anything of it, or maybe they twist their ankle or something like that. But those can lead to serious injuries if not treated. And if you have uh, what you believe to be something that's minor, you still want to document it because it could lead to an infection. It could lead to some other kind of issues. It's important to document everything, isn't it? 
It, it, it really is. And, and even if, um, you know, if the person wanted to use, whether it's the end of the day rule, if something is still bothering you, or even a 24 hour rule, that if it's still bothering you, then chances are, you know, it, it would be better to just file out an accident report and uh, just have that. And again, kind of be your own record keeper. Keep keep a copy for yourself. And, um, you know, or in a case where um, we have many instances where someone is paid benefits for a short amount of time for two or three weeks, they go back to work. But if they then later go back out and have surgery and and they've forgotten, they haven't consulted with an attorney, if they've received benefits, the statute of limitations is is told. In other words, it's sort of removed as a limit. So if they had surgery a few years ago and they received benefits, you know, um, so that means that the insurer is aware of the injury, so they can't say they didn't have notice. So they still would be eligible for a loss of function payment or scarring benefit. Uh, again, if it's on the face, neck or hands, if it happened after uh, December of 1991. So that's, you know, they could give us a call and we could uh, talk them through uh, that scenario as well. Well, you mentioned uh, if people should feel free to give us a call. That number is 800-785-5399. You can also visit our website at PSRBlaw.com. Tom Downey, this is really interesting and, and important information. And thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. And and I think I speak for all the attorneys here that we're always happy to speak to people and inform them of the workers' comp law. You know, it's just, it's kind of um, one of those things that you don't pay attention to, but when you need information, you need it right away. So we're always happy to speak to individuals or even if there are groups, labor uh, groups that, you know, would like uh, a summary of the law, we're always happy to do that as well. Terrific. Tom Downey, thank you so much. 